You're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography, design, creativity, and more, with your hosts, Dave Clayton and Alan Hess. Hi, thanks for joining us here at He Shoots, He Draws. Um, and I've said it many times before that uh, the episodes aren't haven't been as thick and fast as they used to be, but that's just purely down to work commitments and myself and Alan having eight hours between us and both being available. But we are still keeping going. We've still got guests coming in and lined up, um, but they're just going to be a kind of as and when basis at the moment. But every once in a while, you just have a guest come along completely out of the blue. And this was down to completely down to Alan. Um, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, uh, always have been. I, you know, I've credited Star Trek, Thunderbirds, um, Time Tunnel, those kind of 60s programs as being something that convinced me or or kind of shaped me into being a graphic designer. Um, so having grown up with Star Trek, it's just been something that I've always really loved. And then one day Alan throws out to me um, that he knows the guy that's the uh, production, uh, he's the guy that does the production or the set production on uh, Star Trek and the boys. His name's Dave Blass. And I said to Alan, wow, I've been following Dave Blass on Twitter. I know who he is. I've, I've been seeing all the behind the scenes. And it turns out that Alan and Dave go back a while. So um, he said, well, let me ask and see if I can get him on the show. And me being 57 year old man acting like a 12 year old giddy child because we've got someone from Star Trek on was absolutely yes whenever we need whenever we can we'll do it and Dave blessed us with uh, three hours of his time um, we chatted about Star Trek and TV and his job and his background in part one and we're going to split it into two parts because the second half is more about his music photography. So um, if you want to listen to both, it's going to be broken up. Um, but yeah, the first one's just over an hour, hour and a bit. And we're going to be talking about all things Trek and TV and um, production, direction, all that kind of stuff, artwork. Uh, it was really interesting. I got to ask Dave a ton of questions that I wanted to, wanted the answers on. Uh, it's incredible the people he's worked with um so it's it's a really good interview i really enjoyed it and hope you do too especially I mean, you don't have to be a star trek fan but it helps um but dave does talk about the industry and uh the impending writer's strike as well so um yep yeah, strap in uh we're gonna boldly go where no podcast has gone before apart from the other ones that he's been on and uh, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I'm going to hand over to the show and myself and Alan and Dave. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. So here we go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of He Shoots, He Draws. And today's uh, episode kind of came by surprise because uh, our guest is someone who I'm super interested in because of his background. But Alan just casually threw out that he knew this guy through the for his photography um, career. And I knew our guest's name through something else that I was interested in. So uh, Alan got in touch with him and he very kindly said he'd be on. So welcome to He Shoots, He Draws, Dave Blass. Thank you very much for having me. Right. Now, before we go on, I have I've got one question to ask you after I've said something about you. OK, yep. so you're an, you're not only an accomplished music photographer. Uh, you're also a production designer on TV series. You're Emmy nominated, Art Directors Guild nominated. You've worked on multiple shows like Picard, The Boys, Justified Preacher, Amazing Stories, Constantine, and loads more. Um, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> yeah. 
uh, it, it goes wrong all the time. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes I have to do the reality check of, um, you know, especially on Star Trek, you'd be having a, the worst day and everything's going wrong and this is happening in there. And, you know, then you get a phone call and they're like, oh, you need to come to set. And I'm like three quarters of the way to set to figure out a problem that I'm all this stuff. And I go, Buzz, your worst day, your worst experience that you're having right now is having to go to set to explain warp core dynamics to a bunch of <laughs> actors on Star Trek. <laughs> Or I, I get another time. It's like, oh, Patrick doesn't understand. And I go, I'm sorry. I'm having a bad day, but my bad day is surrounding the fact that I have to go to set to explain why Sorry and Brandy is important <laughs> in Star Trek and why Picard would notice this and realize the whole thing and guide in the thing. I'm going, yeah, I'm living. So I'm living like eight million people's dreams. I need to yeah. just shut the fuck up and <laughs> suck it up. Yeah, it sucks so, to be you, eh? <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, it's like anything else. It, you, you sit there and you go, uh, for every good thing, there's a bad thing. That you know, it's like, you know, I, I tell people that they're like, oh, they're like, you doing this? I go, yeah. About ten years ago, I was doing the Biggest Loser. Uh, yeah. Now it's like you were, you know, I did 8 million crappy Roger Corman movies. I did this. I did that. I did, I did a show for Fox called Who's Your Daddy? It was a series where it was a reality show where they take a girl who was given up to uh, for adoption and they present her with 10 guys, one of which is the guy that gave her up for adoption. And then she goes out and goes on dinner and things, events with these guys. And it's like, we're into like 14 days of shooting this thing. And it was like on day four, we all kind of clue into the fact that it's like, okay. So for one of these guys, this is his daughter. For the other ones, this these are dates. Yeah. It like, and it was like, and then and then and then like the show was called Reunited, and they change it right as we're getting started. Like literally the night we're starting it. And the uh the actress Finola Hughes was hosting it. And they changed the name to Who's Your Daddy? <laughs> That's... And Fanola Hughes is this English actress, very lovely woman. But yeah. she's, she's standing there, and I'm like 10 feet away when the, the producer tells her, and she goes, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> How do you expect me to stand there and look into the camera, look at these people with a, with a, a face, a face, and say, Who, Who's Your Daddy? What the fuck are you thinking? And she's just like, she's like, I'm not gonna fucking do that. And it's like, you know, it's just it was hilarious. She goes, it's fucking stupid. And ten minutes later, she's like, and and I think they actually all maybe had to cut away from her because it was so bad. But yeah, uh, but in order to get to where I am, I had to go through that. Exactly, you know, so, exactly. Well, let, let's talk know, it, about let's talk about how you got there. So obviously, going going right right back um, to to when you kind of got decided to get into an industry were you a photographer first before you uh, I, know, I know you used to work with roger corman but what was mm -hmm. the what was the connection between photography and then your first job well oddly oddly enough it was funny because i was talking with my uh and and it, it does actually go all the way back my high school uh art teacher and i had said i wanted to you know i'm like i want to go to hollywood i want i want to like do do star trek in hollywood Wow. 
And and he was like, well, I don't know how to do that, but let's do that. But he gave me a um, an extra credit photography class because we were going to do motion picture stuff. But there wasn't a motion picture school class, whatever. But he's like, we're going to do this AP class so that you can focus on that and figure out how to do that. And we'll we'll do that. And we ended up uh, directing, I directed a movie, a Students Against Drunk Driving movie. And that was like him going here, we're, we have to have you do something. We don't, we'll figure it out as we went, but it all started with photography. And because I was interested in that, but you know, that was basically in the, in the early eighties when, you know, there was no digital, it was all shot on, you know, and videotape was just somewhat becoming a thing, but you know, it was all photography. So you get into that and then going into college, it was, um, uh, you know, shooting with, with motion picture, uh, film and, uh, and actual super eight and 16 millimeter. Uh, but yeah, that was, and I actually remember getting, uh, when I was about to get booted out of school for not paying my bills, I got a, a grant from the new England camera club, uh, who helped out and, and gave me stuff. So, so photography has always been a, something that I've been, uh, interested in and it wasn't really, you know, I, I've always done it, but it was like getting serious into photography. Mm -hmm. I was always more about taking images and about the image and less about the tech. And I would say it's probably been the last 10 years that I've been more into the the tech and actually making it a more of an art form. Yeah. So that was where you lived in Massachusetts then. Yeah. When you started that. So yeah. living there, you've just decided, I want to go and work in Hollywood. That's what I want to yeah. do. Yeah, that was really stupid of me. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it literally, I mean, I, I can uh, pull out a photo of me dressed up as Mr. Spock, you know, uh, for Halloween for in high school. So it was literally like, okay, no, I want to go to Hollywood and work on Star Trek. And like people like who see me like now, they're like, you would think that they're like, oh my God, it's so cool. It's like, they're so pissed. They're like, you actually knew what you wanted to do. And you went and did it and it was impossible yeah. to do and you did it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did that. Um, <laughs> and, um, but it was like, you know, it was just looking back on it. It's just so stupid because it was not a, in any way whatsoever, an achievable dream. It's like, oh, I want to be in the monkeys. They're like, wait, I want to yeah. be the designer on Star Trek. It's like, well, in the eighties, they were only doing movies that's what I was going to say. You probably only yeah. had movies. Um, yeah, they 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 yeah. were like in by that point they were into like Star Trek four, and it's like it wasn't until I got to college. So I was already in college when they announced that they're doing the next generation. So it was like so then it's like okay that's the thing. But I was basically going after a job that only two people had done before. So it's yeah. like not but you know I also was into Star Wars. So it's like the idea of like I'd like to be doing Star Trek. Uh, I'll do Star Wars, whatever. Yeah. But the fact that I like in, Coke, but I'll drink Pepsi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, it's it's the thing, and and it all sounds wonderful when you come up with that dream and you're going. But literally, someone should have said, uh, "Yeah, it's a bad idea. This is not. You, you do understand it's not going to happen." Yeah. And now it just pissed me off enough to, to try it even more. But you know. But it's that thing. It's like so many times you go left when you could have gone right. And but, you know, you end up where you want, where you're supposed to be at the end of it. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think the fact that you've you've kind of dedicated your your 
thoughts to like this is what i want to do these are the things i've got to do to to get it's like my i remember saying to my youngest son like what do you want to be when you grow up he said i want to be doctor who i said well a you know he's not real um b if you want to play doctor who you're gonna have to be an actor and so therefore you're gonna have to go and do acting classes but that was people want to be things but never like do the work to get there they just think they're going to go hello uh dave bless would you fancy we've got we're short on the star trek set do you fancy like coming coming over to hollywood well and and i think that that's that's a, a key point which is um it's when you're given the opportunity are you prepared for it it's like yeah. sitting there going up you know it's like going up to oh I, i'm gonna go play major league baseball and you sh- go up to the plate and the guy blows three pitches by you because you, you're not ready for it yeah and it's like that for me was that thing where you know the the opportunity came around when i was ready for it and uh i mean i'm sure i could have done it years ago but you know it was it was that thing that it timing worked out and and whatnot but so how did the roger corman connection come along then so Roger Corman used to be, uh, for folks that don't know it, he was the king of B-movies. And back in the day when there was a thing called Blockbuster, uh, you would go to Blockbuster <laughs> on a Friday night to rent uh, Back to the Future or whatever, the you know, Die Hard. And when you got there at, you know, 8 o'clock, because you didn't get there at 6 o'clock, there was nothing left. You couldn't get Die Hard because you got yeah. uh, like a blue, a blue uh, piece of cardboard where Die Hard used to be. And then you have oh. to go to the five shelves over to get something because you're going to rent something. Uh, you're you're you know having a, a a blockbuster night and and whatever. So we they used to do all these straight to video movies and in the um, in the seven sixties and seventies uh, they did what are called B movies and they would be that thing where you would go to the movies and there would be a B movie which would be like a, a short movie like an hour long movie that would air before the the main feature because you you had to they had to provide you with a whole evening of 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 adventure no one's going to pay good money for just an hour of a two hours of a movie so it's kind of like the opening band uh version of movies and the thing with roger was you worked for him either when you were going up or coming down (laughs) and that was it was that was the the fun thing so you got everyone in hollywood at some point like in, in in a certain that age bracket had worked for him. So, uh, you know, you had people like uh, James Cameron had started out as a production designer like myself, and then got his first directing job there. And uh, and uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Joe Dante and all these great people had worked for him. And that was kind of like where you went when you didn't know what you were doing. And they're like, here's $5 and a roll of duct tape, make me a movie set. Right. And, and you learn. <laughs> And, you know, looking back at people like, oh, my God, he took advantage of you, made you like 75 bucks a, a week or something. I'm like, yeah, but he said, here's 75 bucks and a duct tape and it let us build a movie set. Yeah. And we learned how to do that. And we learned, you know, we would go to I'd go to Home Depot and like I had to paint all these sets. And I'm like, well, what color is the set? I'm like, well, I'd go to the view, the reclaimed um, returns area in the paint. And they'd be like all these mix, you know, bad mixes of paint. And I'd be like, okay, well, I'll take these five shades of green and a five-gallon bucket, and I'd put it in. That's what color the set was, because that's yeah. what I could afford. And but you then I learned to mix paint. I learned how to do all these things. And and that, you know, one thing led to another, and that get you experience to then get the next job and the next job and the next job. 
So was was production designer the role you were looking for, or you were just like, I just want to work on Star Trek. What's the what's the, the easiest way in? Uh, the 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 job I wanted was was art director, and right. the only reason I know that because when I was uh, a kid, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say probably in the 12, 13 year old, I watched the, they had a making of special on um, Star Wars, or I think it might have been uh, Empire or Return of the mm-hmm. Jedi. And I remember watching that where you could go to the theater and watch it 10 times in the theater because it's never left the theater. Yeah. And I remember like trying to figure out who are the people who get to do the spaceships and do all that cool stuff. Because I sh- saw them making the model and I'm like, and I saw the the title art director. I'm like, well, that sounds like the guy. He sounds like he's He's the guy. And I'm like, who's that art director? Joe Johnston. I'm like, I want to be Joe Johnston. And as as fate would have it, I actually end up meeting Joe Johnston. Uh, and Joe is such a, a, a talented fellow, but he's also gone on to become a very talented director. He directed uh, the movie October Sky. He directed okay. the first Captain, Captain America movie, yeah. uh, Jurassic Park 3. So really talented guy. But I met him at the, uh, happened to go to the premiere of Captain America. And, you know, because he's not a named guy, he's not, you know, he was just at the party. I'm like, I knew who he was. No one else knew who he was. So I'm like, hi, I just want to go. Thank you. Amazing film, by the way. But I'm here in Hollywood because of you. And I tell my son, hey, hey, don't put that on me. And uh, <laughs> and uh, just the, the nicest guy in the world. And, um, and you know, I just, you know, talked to them a bit. And he was just so super gracious and, and everything. And then I reconnected with him uh, a few years later when I was doing a show uh, called Justified, and he was a huge fan of Justified. He's like, "Wait, you're a, you do Justified? Oh my god, I love that show!" And I'm like, <laughs> I, "Yeah, I, I absolutely love, my- love, I love yeah. that show. I, I that was one of those. That was one of like the the true first like limited. It wasn't going to run forever. It wasn't an endless. It was just going to be the storyline. And I just I thought that was one yeah. of the greatest shows on television at the time. Mm. Yeah. So. You know, it, it's that thing. So you you start going in one direction, you go in a different direction, and then you know you. But you know, people are like, well, you're so successful. And I'm like, it's perseverance because I know so yeah. many people who went to Hollywood and it they didn't hit it big, and then they changed their thing and they went to do something different, and they got married, they they made sacrifices to be with the home of the family and everything, and there you go. I didn't get married, didn't have kids, whatever. I, they said, oh, you want to go to uh, Atlanta or Budapest or, you know, like where I'll go wherever to go do the job. And, you know, it's like, oh, we want to send you to Ireland. I'm like, great. Send me a plane ticket. Oh, we want to send you to, you know, I, I went to like, I've done like four shows in Atlanta, New Mexico, New Orleans, whatever it takes. I just would get on the plane and go the next day. And a lot of people can't. And but those decisions and that freedom to do that got me where I am. So, yeah. So you. So really, it's the experience of, look, I'll learn from anything. I'll take any show. Because I know I've watched a couple of your documentaries where you did behind the scenes mm-hmm. that Justified in the prison um, yeah. and uh, and looked at, like, the background. And you had done so, a lot of reality TV shows. Like, we were, we were talking yeah. about the Who's Your Daddy? Um, yeah. So you, you've done all of those different jobs. And I think that's, that's a lost art for a lot of people is they want to go to success immediately and don't realize that doing all those kind of crappy little shows or, or working with weird people is that's just what you have to do to, to survive in the industry. 
Yeah, and, and people don't realize it's like, you know, you get on a show like Star Trek and you're and you're going, oh my God, it's a big budget thing. I go, uh, no, we had to design like the bad guy ship and we had run out of money. I mean, it was just like, and, and you, everyone always said, you ran out of money. I'm like, no, but we really hit a, it, it was a combination of ran out of money and ran out of time, ran out of room um, because we only had so many sound stages and there were sets on everything. And we're building the enterprise over here and this set here and this set here and board. And, and it's like, well, okay, we need the bridge of a bad guy ship. I'm like, well, what do we got? And I'm like, well, I got the downstairs of a ship we've already, that were the, the La Serena. We don't really see the downstairs much. I'll do that. And I'll like, but I literally used a trick that I had used on Biggest Loser. And I tell people that this is what we're going to do. And they're like, I'm sorry, we're going to do what? I'm like, okay, we don't have any money, but I want a cool texture on the wall. So we're going to take window screen, we're going to crinkle it up, and then we're going to pull it apart, and then we're going to shine a light up on it from both sides and move the light so it will look like waves of energy. <laughs> and you're just looking at people going, what the fuck are you smoking? <laughs> I'm like, trust me, it's going to work. And they're like, and they're like, they're looking at me like, uh, uh, no, it's not going to work. I go, it's going to work. And they're like, how do you know? I'm like, do I tell them that I did it on Biggest Loser? Or do no, I don't. No, it. it's just it's gonna work. It's gonna work, and they did it. It worked perfectly. And it, so, if, if you look at it on the bad guy ship, uh, the Shrike, uh, where uh, it it's a back, we use it in the background, and all these. It was like cheap as all get out. It's like window screen crinkled up, and it gives it this weird looking energy thing. And it's like okay, that's experience, and that's you know when you when you get to that situation, it's like here's how to do something cheap and and cool. It feels like you should have worked on MacGyver. Yeah, you get a lot. You get a lot of that. And again, uh, it, you know, it, you try not to tell because we're all tech people here as opposed to so much Star Trek people. But, you know, you try not to say it, but it's like, oh, yeah, no, we reused every piece of every set. And it's like that set was and, and people on the show, they're like, people are going to recognize this. Happen. I go, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing a thing where I'm going to go whoosh and no one will notice it because of the way i've done it and everyone's yeah. like but we're just using the same console that we just saw two weeks ago and this is this and there's the basement of the ship that we i go no one's gonna notice <clears throat> and then they noticed but they're like oh that's cool look how right. look how neat that was that you did that and uh but yeah uh so it, it's a thing of going it's, you take the experience of things and and having to have that roger corman mentality where you change one thing into something else and you're you would think oh when by the time i get to star trek i'm not going to need that anymore i'll and and then you do and and yeah. it works out really well because i like watching first of all i, I only buy blu-rays because i like watching the making of the cv series yeah. or the film i love that behind the scenes if ever i come over to the us i go to oh, i've still got to go to universal because i want to go to hill valley square i've not done that yet um but I've been to Paramount, I've done Warner Brothers, and just like being able to go on set and look around and you see everything. And it's like what you see on TV and then what you see when you're on set. And it is just like wood and card and fake plastic. And I was, yeah. so when I was watching your Justified video, The Prison, and you were going, yeah. you know, like even little things like see the glass here, we have it so you can tilt it so there's no reflections. It's just yeah. all those little things I'm fascinated by because it's it's probably only on screen for you know maybe a couple of minutes, 
but they're the things that make it either realistic looking or oh, yeah. or like a shitty set that mm-hmm. everyone's picking foot like it's it's distracting from the acting and yeah so, well so it's, it fascinates me yeah and it's you get into that with something like star trek where you know keep there's the people who get it and then the people who don't and and it's challenging on a show where you get it and other people on the show it's like yeah whatever so you know they're looking at these control panels and they're just like shapes and things and you know the l cars and you have to go to the actors and the directors and the people who aren't star trek people go oh no no this all matters oh yeah flying this is like driving a car just imagine this person is flying an airplane you just don't randomly do that it has a system of how you would do it. So I would have to go on to set and explain to an actor, here's how you would fly the ship. Here's how you would do it. It's this type of emotion. It's this. This is intended to be a gesture interface. So you don't need to touch the screen. You gesture towards it. And the screen knows what you're doing. And this is you're going to actually touch. But this is you. And then once they, oh, it's all been thought through. And that's why Star Trek works is because all the tech is thought through. Even though it's fictitious, the idea of what it would do and how it would do it has yeah. been thought through. Yeah, it's my, kind of logic. Yeah. 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 There's a logic in it uh, to it that makes it real mm-hmm. in that universe and in the way that it works. And right. um I have a I have a terrible ADHD when I'm watching stuff and I tend to look at everything going on and avoid some of the main action because I get distracted by things in the background. And a real key yeah. to show that's good is that. Nowadays, you can pause the stuff. Like in the past, when it was like you went to the movie theater, you couldn't stop in the middle and go, "Hold, hold on a minute. Could you back that up ten oh, seconds? Yeah. I want to read that cell phone messaging, or you know, yeah. the the tag on the mattress behind him looked interesting. Can we stop?" And and nowadays, you know, you've got these people who are going through, uh, you know, the shows fr- literally frame by frame. Oh yeah, you know, four uh, K. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, um. That's like, got to make things a little more difficult. I mean, you're, you're... It, it does, and it and it just it, you know it it make it just makes you realize that, and also letting people know that you can't just put gibberish like we had we had a at the a, a, you know without ruining it for the, at the end of the uh, the season there's a giant battle sequence and there's like monitors with all the ships and the things and I'm like, you have to figure it all out. It's not just because. You're going, I know that there are people who will zoom in and freeze frame and know what each ship is and what the registration number is. And, what, and you have to kind of track all that stuff so that you know what you're doing so that the fans know. But it's like, it's it's harder, yeah. But it, it, it's it's also more fun if you, if you enjoy it. Yeah. Well, if you think like Star Trek, um, Michael Akuda and uh, forgive me, what's his wife's name? Is it Michelle? Denise. Denise, uh, Michael and Denise, like everyone, every Star Trek fan knows who they are and their job was to design those screens. So obviously when you've when you're rebuilding that next gen set, all that stuff matters. I saw you posted a photograph of they came on set and and had a look at it. Well, well, that was that was one of my first phone calls. I'm like, I'm doing this. So I'm smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough. And that also (laughs) that there's always someone better. I, you know, I worked briefly on uh, on the movie AI with Spielberg, and I was in I was in like a moot and a meeting, and it was like I was Waldo because it was the who's who of Hollywood in this one little room looking at these models that we had built, 
And I'm like, it's Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, the head of uh, the head of ILM, and just like everyone was in there. And then me over in the corner, like, and I was watching how Stephen would interact with the people and and how he would encourage people and be like, oh, who you did this, you did this thing, oh yeah, yeah, okay, that's that's really. He's like, I really love this blue. Did the the the, the idea of this and this one. I love this in blue. I hadn't even thought about it in blue. Had you thought about it in green? And it was such an interesting way to watch someone interact with people because he could have walked in and said, that sucks. Why isn't it green? But he did it in such a way that you were like, oh, no, no. yeah, green's a green. Yeah, because he praised them. And, but it was what I found most interesting is that he hired the best people in the industry to work for him. It's like, it's a bonus that he's him and he, people want to work with him. But if you're going to do something, you hire the best people. The first call I made, I'm like, Hey, Mike, do you want to come do Star Trek again? Because Mike had been out of Star Trek for over 10 years, actually almost 20 years. Yeah. Um. So, and unfortunately he was, he was on another show and that's, you know, part of the bit show business aspect is that a lot of the people that I wanted were all on other shows. Uh, you know, so Mike was doing uh, For All Mankind, uh, Doug Drexler, another great a Star Trek designer. Yeah. He was on uh, Orville. I'm like, dude, you're doing the cover band. So let's do oh. You know, it's like, <laughs> come, come join Junus Priest. It's like, <laughs> um, I do love the so, cover uh, band. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, but, and then like slowly they freed up. And so Mike was like, I, you know, I, I don't really have time. We're doing this thing. And I'm like, okay, well, if for some reason, I don't know if there's like a pandemic or something that stops everyone from working and you are free <laughs> to help us out, uh, you know, and that actually worked out great for us, horrible for the world. Um, but uh, he was able to come over and set us up. But yeah, we had, and we had Johnny. So I reached out to all the people who had worked on the show before and said, hi, I'm doing the show, big fan. Let's get the band back together, both on screen and behind the screen. And yeah. and that's what we did is we, we were like, we're not going to change what you guys had done before. We're just going to keep doing it. And, you know, let's let's do if see if we can do the thing that no gr band has done, which is to do a new song that's just as good as the old one. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that that's really that thing. It's like, you, you know, when the band gets back together, it's like you like to hear the old hits. But can you do a new album that's really good? And that's, I think, what we really went and tried to do so while we're on the subjects of star trek then because i could ask you a million questions about this what you you've done these tv shows you've obviously got a back catalog of other shows you've done that that's very impressive anyway what was like moment one of of you touching star trek moment one of me touching star we did a uh a set in season two it was a um, it was a surveillance uh, thing. It was like a, like a Starfleet surveillance uh, lab, and that was like the first Star Trekky thing. Like we had done um, season again, two of season what? Picard. Oh, okay. Yeah. So season two is very it's very different because it's a time travel season, and we it, it starts in the pre in Picard's present day, and then they travel back in time to our present day. Yeah. So it's kind of like Voyage Home where. They come back to our present time. So there was a lot of LA in present day and that type of things. But um, there was that set. But I think the, the first thing that really struck me that like, oh my God, I'm doing Star Trek was 
uh, we did a set for Starfleet Academy uh, at the Disney Concert Hall, and, and and Picard gives this big speech, and we had actually done it, and we had to stop down because of COVID. So then we had to tear the whole set down, rebuild it. So we finally got back, and we did it, and it was sitting there, and we were rehearsing, and and Patrick Stewart comes out, and he starts giving his speech, and I'm like running around. I got eight million things I have to do, and I'm like walking across and i just happen to realize i'm in the middle of the frame and the thing and he starts his speech and i go holy shit i am at starfleet academy watching <laughs> admiral picard give a speech and i just sat down and i just sat down for an hour watched the man do his thing and i'm like i am at starfleet academy yeah and this is you know it's like i'm here i'm i it's it's, it's like being that rock star moment it's like i'm in the photo pit no i'm gonna sit and appreciate being here and take this moment in and it was that, just pretty amazing going back to that kid that i want to work on star trek and yeah. then so picard season two was your first star trek experience yes. as a production yes yes right so how did that job come about what i uh well i it, i had um luckily or unluckily uh, i had just been uh i had signed on to do a a series for marvel called ghost rider yeah uh it was a uh, they had done the Nick Cage movies and uh, we were doing a series for uh, Hulu uh, with Gabriel Luna, who was on uh, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He had done the so they started the character there and we were on that for about six months. Or four to six months getting ready to the extent that we had planted corn it, the, like the, the show took the episode season took place in a corn farm we had planted the corn and the corn was 10 feet tall and marvel pulled the plug <laughs> no so we, we so we we were like two weeks away from shooting and they pulled the plug and this was in like september october um and yeah so we were like all excited about that and then it was like, ah and so then and that was shooting up in santa clarita where i was living where we did justified um and then going into it, then I got a call uh, that because I had previously I had talked to them about doing discovery. Uh, so I was in, on their radar. And then, you know, the fact that I was in town and whatever. So they called me, met with the, the showrunner, Terry Metallis. Uh, and it turned out we connected because we were both uh, went to Emerson College. Right. Uh, my film teacher was his, his film teacher. We were actually friends with with the kids and every, uh, the the teachers' kids, and it was like there was a whole connection. And the fact that I was a huge Star Trek fan, and I had just come off not only um, Ghost Rider, but I had just done The Boys, and The Boys had just come out, and The Boys was a huge hit. Yeah, I loved so, it. So, uh, so The Boys was a huge hit. Uh, so it was kind of like okay, that was and that was I had done that. Uh, that was my second project that I'd done with the. Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Uh, so again, I had the previous one being Preacher, which if you kind of put all these ducks in a row, it's like Preacher is kind of a modern day Western shot in mm -hmm. New Mexico. I had previously done Justified, which was a modern day Western. And then I did from Preacher, I mean, from Justified, I also did Longmire, which is a modern day Western shot in New Mexico. So I'm like, oh, okay, so I'm the modern day Western guy. Let me <laughs> go do your show. So I was like, you know, preacher, preacher was a near thing. So then, then you get in with Seth and Evan, and just blow your mind, creative guys. I, I can't say enough about uh, how much fun they are to work with. But just creatively, their their brain power is like Peter Jackson size. Mm. These guys are like, uh, but they uh, had were gearing up to do the boys, 
and um, they had spun off and done preacher. They went to Australia to do preacher, uh, or the preacher went to Australia. And I was like, I'm not going to Australia. And so they they were like, Oh wait, do you want to go to Toronto? You can go do the the boys. And I was like, Yeah. So I go to the boys. So it was one of those things. It's like, okay, I had done the gritty Monday Western stuff, so I wasn't the sleek, you know, glossy superhero guy. But then I go and do the boys. I become this sleek, glossy, uh, you know, superhero guy. And then one of our writers from Justified was doing Ghost Rider, which was also a modern day Western. Hmm. So I'm like, oh, I've got the Marvel <laughs> stamp. I've got the boys, the thing. And then Star Trek presents itself. And I'm like, and there you go. And as it turned out, also shooting in Santa Clarita. So the the uh, the set of Raylan's motel room is actually on the set where the Enterprise D was. So they're on oh, the wow. same exact spot. So it's kind of my my career, like literally uh, going, you know, over the course of eight years, uh, starting out at that building and then, uh, you know, coming back around to to do the Enterprise there was pretty amazing. So, so it's it's got to be pretty cool when you do something like, um, I'm a huge comic guy. I mean, I, I've yeah. been dealing with comic books and comic book art for decades. I've been going to San Diego Comic-Con since high school. I won't tell you what I dressed up as back then, but, um, you know, not a cowboy. Uh, how much fun is it to, like, get, like, the boys and realize that your next bit of research is sitting down and reading, you know, a whole bunch of comic books? Like, because okay. <laughs> you're I taking think... a world that is not real and turning it into something that actually has to function in reality. It's It's, it's pretty amazing, and oddly enough, um and again not by connection or my personal connection but uh the boys was my third time translating a garth ennis comic into the screen and then i went for the 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 quad the the fourth time doing ghost rider which was right after the two because he he had done an arc in in ghost rider so um it's pretty amazing but you know I I love it because I their source of material and my thing is like if you're doing something the fans already like what is it that they like about it and what and try and capture that feeling and don't fuck with it mm. it's like don't try and put your own stamp on it it's like okay you know and and that's why I always reach out to the artist and connect with them and it's like like literally with a uh with preacher you know it's reaching out to Garth and 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 uh, Steve Dillon. And, right. you know, I got to connect with him right before he passed. And it was like, and Ugh. he was so, so thankful for that, that I just, he watched it and he's like, you get it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I read your book. I'm like, I see what you're going for. And I'm going to try and, and it's like, so it was like one of the first things I did on, um, on Preacher, they had, I didn't do the pilot, I did the, the season and they had uh, a church in the pilot that wasn't the church in the, in the, uh, from the comic books and i'm like oh that's interesting and i thought well they found a location or whatever and then i find out that they built it i was like well if you're gonna build it why wouldn't you build the church to be like the comic book and for whatever reason they didn't and i'm like that's cool but then we go to shoot the pilot the the series and i'm like okay uh we gotta change the church and they're like oh but it has to match the pilot the pilot i go no the pilot's gonna match ours because we're gonna just reshoot those and fix that and whatever and they're like uh no no we gotta do it i go no 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 no. we're changing the church we're it's really and it became like this thing and i'm like and then i remember going into the meeting and they're like no I, that's gonna cost money and i go okay 
look at the first issue of the comic book preacher it's the church mm. yes and 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 i said it's iconic and your steeple is off to one side and it's this and you and they're like well yeah i go okay i know you already know this but i'm just gonna say it anyway the church is a middle finger the architecture it's a middle <laughs> finger to god <laughs> that's your story you're telling your story and they just looked at me and i'm like yeah, I guess we're changing the church. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just like, I'm like, it's just, and then you sit there and you and you, you, you look at it again, like the journey of life and you go, I had to have that moment. And then the entire marketing campaign for the first season of Preacher is the church. And exactly, I'm like, yeah, because it's iconic. You've got to do the thing. Yeah, and I have the entire, I have the entire run of that book. Um, yeah. Sitting somewhere in, in in my house it was one of those literally and i've been in comic books since i was a, a child batman you know started as a, as a little yeah. kid but the nth dylan stuff was life-changing and seeing yeah. those books and the way that story was written was unbelievable and the tv show uh was one of those that i sat here and watched it on my computer my second monitor while i was working and then i would go and re-watch the same episode on the big screen in the living room so that i didn't have to uh i wasn't distracted but more than that i could then look at all the details after like getting the storyline it was like rereading a comic book it was like re-watching yeah. the show it was so beautifully done and and i started it started and the first thing i did was um i did constantine which was a, mm -hmm. a, a hellblazer mm -hmm. series yep and uh that was a hard one because i was doing i had been doing justified and we were getting ready to do the the final season and I, out of the blue, I got a call from David Goyer, and they're like, "We want you to do Constantine." I'm like, "I'm like, we're doing the final season of Justified and this and that," but I'm like, "Constantine's going to be huge." I mean, it's, it's David Goyer who did, had written Superman and all these great things. I'm like, I, you know, so I called the producers on Justified. I said, "Sorry," uh, and it was in between seasons that it was like I walked away in the middle, but. Uh, they were like, no, we understand, and, and whatever. So I went and did Constantine, and it was one of those things. We had just figured out really what we were doing on the show. The writers were getting it. They all got into a groove, and NBC pulled the plug. They were like yeah. 10 episodes in. We're like, yeah. And it was one of those things that had so much potential, and uh, NBC was the wrong fit for it. It should have been on like a Netflix or an HBO. Right. You know, now it would have been, it would have been great, uh, but at the time it was very uh, – you know, NBC centered. Um, but again, you know, that, that's the thing is like, that was my first introduction of like really delving into the nuance of the comics and, and how you have to get into the, the, the whole thing. But it's amazing how you get onto these shows. And again, as part of the show business thing is that you're hiring, you know, for me, like a hundred people. And you would like to think that the guys like doing the drafting or the graphics or the things would all be like, okay, we're doing Constantine, we're doing The Boys, we're doing Preacher. I, you know, first thing I do is I get, you know, I bought a, a set of the comic books of The Boys and I got the individual issues because you can get the big fat ones. Mm. But yeah. I'm like, no, because the cover art is really cool. And you in the, in the compilations, you lose all the cover art. Mm. So I said, I want people reading them like they used to read them, like in a comic book. And I got them a letter. I said, you got to sign them out and doing and never left the conference table. No one cared. Wow. And it's like you get people who are really good at what they do, but they're not that, you know, it's like I, I wrestle with it. And I'm like, I go, have you guys read the script? And they're like, no. I go, aren't you interested? Really? 
Yeah, you know, you've got to be invested, haven't and you? At some because, point, you know they're not—they're not necessarily. That's not their thing. I mean, they're—they're a—you know—you tell them what the, the set is and what it's supposed to be, and then they're going to go and do it. But, but that's where, like, the whole fan servicing the fans is—you know when something's gone wrong because there's always the example of that's the only thing people talk about, even if it's something as simple like Tom Cruise playing Jack Reacher. He's too short in the comic books. He's six foot six and built like a brick shit house. And you put Tom Cruise. Now the TV series of Jack Reacher, they've cast the right guy, but it's those attention to details that one of the things I was, I had down to ask you was the fan pressure of working on a show that has such a, yeah, it's not like a TV show is created from nothing, but you've got a right. source material like Walking Dead, you know, it comes from a huge library and you're bringing it to screen. You've, Of course, you're going to change it slightly because you've got to give it that kind of its own identity. But you've got to sort of stay a little bit true to the to the original art and that as soon as you fuck it up, people are straight on Twitter and social media and Oh, yeah. got this wrong they got this wrong they got this wrong and that's what you don't want people talking about you want them to talk about how cool the show is but well, i never read the boys comic books love the show um yeah. well it's that thing i one of the things i would tell my my team on star trek is because i had mostly i would say about 80 percent any 85 percent of the people on the show were not star trek people mm. so i said okay first we're gonna change your approach to what we're doing this is not a sci-fi show. This is not a fantasy show. This is a historical drama that takes place in space. It's historic because there's 60 years of history. So imagine that this is just like a World War II film. You wouldn't put a just a random chair there. You would yeah. put a period-appropriate chair right. that is right for that time. You wouldn't just put a graphic. You would make sure that the font that you did was created in the time, that there's a history, and how was it used before, and blah, blah, blah. I said, that's what you have to do. I said, you know, luckily this is, this is, you know, current day where we have the internet and there's a database and memory alpha, all the stuff's out there. You just have to know that you would need to go look that, and that you can't ever assume that. So we would have, we had one instance where um, <clears throat> in season two, the decorator had put a, a chair out there and I said, oh, we can't use that chair. And he goes, why? I go, well, that's, the same chair that they use on the discovery on their bridge. He goes, people are going to notice the chair. I go, yes, they're going to notice the chair. And also when you're putting the chair there, what are you saying that the, the, I go, it's not even that the same thing, which fine if you're doing it intentionally, but we're saying that that chair that they use on the bridge is a hundred years old. Yeah. If that's what you're trying to say, cool. But I don't think that's what we're trying to say. And you know, was so that, we had, we had, yeah. I was going to say, was that something that 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 must be a huge headache that you're having to kind of not only do your job, but kind of be teacher and educating and just keeping an eye out, like because you know the thing, like, well, I I do all the things because then I know it won't get messed up, but then as soon as you delegate, you you kind of have to also keep an eye on the person you've delegated to i'm sure star trek's probably like that because oh, yeah. you've got the attention to detail you that stuff matters to you and like you say if you hadn't spotted that that would have just been a why have they done that oh, yeah. oh and, and, and it happens and you like there's uh you know 22 cringeworthy things and a lot of times what you know what i try and do is put something shiny over here 
so that everyone looks at the shiny thing and then they don't notice the other things over here. So if you put the shiny thing, oh, here's the shiny Easter egg thing over here. Everyone goes, oh, look at that. And they don't, they miss 20 other things. Yeah. So that was another thing I'd written down was Easter eggs. So mm -hmm. obviously you've worked on lots of shows. So you've got a lot of historical information and then you come to Star Trek and then you get the chance for Easter eggs. And like, I mean, the callbacks in, in Picard were just mm -hmm. on point. You know, when you know that they're there, like you said, when the shiny thing's there, you're like, yes, they've done it. Mm -hmm. Do you get the opportunity to do personal Easter eggs or, or is it kind of a scripted thing? Cause I know like Disney Pixar, they are super specific about the Easter eggs they put in. Do you, um, does that come up in part of what your job is? Like, oh, by the way, you need to include this and you must have that and put the flute in for in Picard's room, yeah. from the episode. Well, the way, the way it kind of played out was I started out that he was going to have this chateau, the chateau in season two was going to be. A yeah. Character. So we knew that that was going to be the thing. And then season one, they had done his archives and they had established this whole whatever room where you would go in and all the stuff was there. And I'm like, well, he seems that he's not that guy that would put all the stuff like in storage. He would have it in his library. So why don't we do the thing where he, we're just going to say that he brought all that stuff home with him. Mm. And there was so much stuff that they had done for season one that you didn't see. <clears throat> and then we went back to the original next generation episodes and we're like, okay, so we're establishing that Picard lives in this house that his brother used to live in, that his family is living in. That's part of our story. That's key to the story for season two is because we go back in time to present day. And, he, yeah. and, and, and so it's the whole thing. It's like in 2024 in the time frame, uh, we're at that show show and it's in his family. So this is a legacy pro property for him. It's got to feel like that, that there's history. And how do you tell history without just coats of paint and whatever. It's like, well, there's artifacts and things. So we looked at it and we're like, oh, okay. They're in his house in the in the episode um, uh, family. They're like, oh, there's that platter above the, the table. There's that plowman sculpture. We, we took all the sets that were there. And we're like, okay, I want that, 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 that. Let's find them, make them do it, whatever. And let's put it there. And then also... If you look at his his uh, office, his, his ready room uh, in Next Generation, all the things that he gets on his journey end up in his ready room. The, uh, the, the tapestry over the chair. So it's like, why would he behave that way in space and then come back to Earth and not mm. have his stuff? So we're like, no, all the stuff that he would have, he would have it here, put it here. And then continue that journey. So in one episode, uh, uh, Picard, like uh, I forget the episode name, um, better with original series names, but uh, he talks about the, they go, they find a, a Promillion battle cruiser, and uh, as they're going, he's all excited about it. Picard, this is one of the first only, first and only times you see Picard giddy in Next yeah. Generation because he's all excited because he's like, oh my god, this ship's old, and he's into. Uh, to antiquities and, and archaeology and he finds a ship and he's like did not did any of you guys uh build ships in a bottle when you were kids oh i did i built a ship ship yeah. and i'm like well but we see him as a kid so 
it's a softball throw. It's like we see Paul Carter's kid. What is he doing? He's building a ship in a bottle. And and then we, you know, so but it, that requires you actually watching the shows, making notes, and you know, pulling things from that and go, okay, we're gonna add this, add this, and then you put that all in, and then twenty uh, percent of it ends up in the in the show. And so there's tons of stuff that you didn't see that was there. Uh, you know, it's like at the end of the series, there's a scene with Data where he's interacting with Lore and Lore, he's giving Lore his memories. Yeah. And they're physical items. Yeah. We had a table full of stuff, all meticulously recreated from the show. We had his paintings. We had this. We had that. We had, and so, you know, you, you, you kind of have to know what are the what are the important things to have and then kind of spread them around and also tell the history. That must be weird, like especially on a show like Star Trek, where, like you said, you've got budget, but then there must just be budget for this stuff because it's, oh no, God, we have the sets built and they've got to be meticulous, but you've also got to have all this stuff remade because I'm sure a lot of stuff in the original series was sold off, auctioned, oh, next to nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's like, but that's the whole thing. It's like you have to do something. So you know, again. You know, if you're, if you're, it's just, and it's just literally, it's like, oh, it's the Permillion battle cruiser in a bottle. Okay. Oh, we got to spend money to make it. No, you chop the end off a bottle, take an Eagle Moss model, stick it inside, and you're done. Yeah. And it's like, literally, that was what we did. So it's like, and, you know, and, and other things that, you know, we would call uh, Rick Sternbach, who uh, was uh, on the original series. And we said, Rick, you did paintings for Picard, there was you used in Picard's uh, ready room. Can we get those uh, that artwork uh, digitally? And we reprinted it and put it in there. And um, you know, books. It's like all Picard's books. He was so into Shakespeare and things. Yeah. Like, okay, it doesn't take a ton to reprint the book covers and to do Dixon Hill books or, or yeah, yeah. So it's not like a giant like oh, we spent a ton of money to, to do it. It's like all the little things that you do, and then it's like oh, okay, he you know Picard always had a Nautilus behind his desk. Okay, go get a Nautilus. So it's like it's you know, it, 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 there was going to be something there. If it was a vase, you paid for a vase, but a Nautilus just you know makes more sense. Did Picard because you recorded back to back from going yeah. season two to season three, um, and you obviously knew you were going to work on it. What, at what point did COVID hit that that in, interrupted? Was it after season one or? Uh, well, season see one season one had been shot and uh, COVID hit. Right as we were starting pre-production on season two. Oh, right. Because I wasn't so, sure where the, where the break was in that. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, we were shooting in COVID the whole whole time. We were masks and face shields and. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So wet. So, yeah, we we we, we, sorry, we had sorry. one scene. We had one scene at Starfleet Academy, like where Picard gives his speech, and we were at Disney concert hall, but. There was we we were approved for what 25 30 extras so they had to digitally you know yeah recreate them but it was a yeah it was it was always a challenge so at what point in season two did you know like shit i'm gonna be working on the then the final of the next generation and these people are gonna start to come i mean obviously you had q for, from next gen in, and yeah. uh some guests in season two but uh, uh, quite towards the end of season three, I right, season two. It was yeah. it, it was it was way into season two. Like, 
So, I mean, we did, you know, we knew that season three was going to happen, but it, I would say uh, Terry, Terry Metallus, he left halfway, three quarters of the way through season two to to go do, start writing season three. Right, so, okay. Yeah, yeah, and I just remember going into, you know, then he he's, okay, well, maybe we're doing this, maybe doing that, and then, you know, and then, you know, he started coming, but it, yeah, it wasn't, here you go, here's what we're doing, uh, you know, starting the show. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, it, but it, then all of a sudden it became bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's like, okay, Nope, we're getting everyone back. And that, you know, and that was Terry's pitch. He's like, okay, he'd come to me and say, okay, I'm going to do the thing. I'm getting everyone back and I'm putting them on the Enterprise. I'm like, the Enterprise? And I go, so we have to rebuild the the, the E? And he goes, no, the D. I'm like, <laughs> how's that going to work? Uh, and, you know, he's like, he's like, we're figuring it out, but that's what we're doing. Figure it out. You know, start, <laughs> hey, figure out how to do it, but that's what we want to do. And was that like when you see something when you read something like that that's coming? You're you're for me. I'm I'm an imagine. I'm just imagining like now. Now I'm in Nirvana. That now I'm in my the the thing I thought of all those years ago when it went like Next Gen came out. You had the films Next Gen came out, and here you are working on you know the end of of that kind of thing. You'll get to rebuild all that stuff again. Well, yeah, it's terrifying. No, see, I mean, everyone's like, oh my God, you must be so excited. I'm like, no, it's all of a sudden someone takes a giant weight and throws it on your shoulder going, I dare you to fuck this up because you're going to fuck it up. You don't have, oh, oh, wait, you're in the middle of a pandemic. You got this going on. You got, you know, all this shit. I mean, and I could go down the litany of things that went wrong. It's like, you know, Terry and I were just, we're just laughing the other day about the day we all came in and the production office was on fire. And it's like, and it didn't phase anyone. It's like you're just like. Eh. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Wait, wait. Your production office was actually on fire. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah, but literally that was the thing. It was like it wasn't like oh my god, this is the worst thing in the world. It's like eh. <laughs> one more thing. I, I mean, you, we, you know. So you posted yeah. on Twitter. Was it like flood, famine, fire? Every, yeah, everything was coming. Yeah, I mean, it was just. It was just unbelievable. It's just like, okay, one thing after another. I mean, you know, and people, and again, we had the best crew and it was the, the best support services. The network was taking care of everyone. But we're in the middle of a pandemic with COVID protocols. And, and you know, and people, it, people have had a wonderful amnesia. And I love that. But go back a year ago to where we all were. And uh, we're working on a TV show where all of a sudden we go from season two to season three, and the median a median age of our cast jumps by twenty years. Yeah. And we have we have you know, and all of a sudden you're going, oh okay, COVID. Who does COVID not like? Older folks, and so we have to be super careful <coughs> and our protocols and things, and you know, and uh, you know, we had and it was you know, I'm not saying anything that's not out there, but. We had uh, coming back from the holidays off campus because you were tested coming back from the holidays mm. before you went, went anywhere near the set. But we had 50 people test positive in one day. And so it was like, but they were all people. It's like, okay, they're like, okay, we're going to go home, spend Christmas with our family, whatever. And they all came back and they had COVID. And they're like, so they weren't allowed anywhere near set. Obviously, they were sent home. No one's got seriously sick. But those are 50 people that you have to replace and then we had all these other instances of you know with this happening and that happening it was just like 
Um, yeah. So, but it's like you're sitting there going, all this is happening while you're trying to build the enterprise and do this and and figure out how to, you know, literally, we're designing the enterprise and doing and designing the Titan ship and everything while we're doing season two because we mm. finished season two on a Friday, started season three on a, on Monday. So you're doing it all at the same time. So it's the same moment that I'm crinkling up window screen trying to figure out how to make a bad guy ship that you're dealing with the enterprise and, and you're going, okay, I'm crinkling up window screen because we don't have any money because I'm spending all of it on the enterprise, which is what it's important. So, uh, but you know, you still have to have, you know, you got Amanda Plummer and, you know, she comes in and it's like, Oh my God, talk about, talk about Amanda Plummer. Hmm, that's interesting casting. And then you're, we're all sitting there waiting, you know, watching the, the her first rehearsal and you're like, okay, how's this going to go? And then all of a sudden, she launches into it, and you're like, "Holy fuck!" I know she it was, was like, badass. Oh my god, uh, she reminded me of Margot Martindale in Justified. Mar same, very similar, very sweet, nice, and whatever. And then all of a sudden, the switched flips, and she becomes this evil whore. And I'm like, "Yeah." And we're like, "Oh, we're good. We're good." And <laughs> and. I and I worked with her, and it was such a wonderful experience working with her designing the uh, Vatix chair because she's like, I'm, I'm kind of from the first most of the show, I'm trapped in this chair. Yeah. So I want it to be kind of an extension of my character. I want to be able to sit differently and spin, and I want to have the thing. And then I, uh, I, I, she's like, when she's like, I want to spin. I'm like, well, you mean you want to spin? like your dad she goes what do you mean I'm like oh boy i'm gonna have fun with this one so <laughs> uh, famously her her her, her dad yeah. played the klingon commander in uh the final frontier um no the i'm sorry the undiscovery country yeah uh, i always mix up the two dollars because they but they um yeah the undiscovered country yeah um and um and play king and um that was the that was the thing. I'm like, okay, he had, was famously yeah, cry havoc and let wreak the go the uh, gods the dogs of war. And I was like, and his the chair. So we kind of modeled the chair after his chair as an homage to him and her and the whole uh, idea. And it was just like wow. Uh, and she was just so appreciative and excited that that we did that. But it was really nice. And she was like, oh, you know, we measured her body so that the, it was wide enough so that she could put her foot up on the edge. And you know, it's just good fun. But yeah. You're doing all of that stuff at the same time. You're like, okay, I need to spend money on the chair, so I don't have any money for the rest of the things. And but but it's like, okay, set decks buying the chair, great, because they have more money because there's not a lot of set dressing on most of the ship. So spend your money there, do a nice chair, and do this, and you know, yeah, make everything darker to, to yeah. hide to hide things you haven't got. Yeah. How does if you don't mind me asking then? So. Because I've always wondered when they say a budget, uh, like a film or a TV show, costs this much, that's much, that much. Mm -hmm. You're obviously a lot of the studios have in-house carpenters and prop makers and everything. No, no. So is it is the budget because you have to pay external people to make stuff that are assigned to the studio anyway? Like, like their job is they know they're going to be making stuff, and you do you have to like get quotes yeah, or yeah, is it the, literally the studio system is gone? Like. I want to say about 30, 40 years ago. So the idea that like that we're at a studio, not a thing. Right. We're, we're at a bunch of so it's like everyone just works on Star Trek. 
So there's, it's not like, even though it's a Paramount show, we were, we, we have no, no direct affiliation with Paramount, like their, their carpentry shop. It's not like right. Paramount's carpet, carpentry shop builds everything or whatever. So that's yeah. not really a thing. So the budget is physically like spent on, okay, we need to make this now. Who can make it? You get a quote, you, you have to, and then the budget starts to suck down a bit. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have a construction team that is for the show. So we have a hundred people, how many, you know, this is what you can afford every week. You add people, you get rid of people, but you have this, you know, our construction mill and that's where everything's built. And, with that group of people, you know, Bob this week is working on the enterprise, but, or the, the Shrike and next week he's working on this. And so they move from one thing to another and, you know, everyone gets, so it's like, you know, how many days does Bob, does Bob work on Saturday? Does he work on Sunday? You know, does he go into overtime? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Right. I've got a couple of fun questions for you. Right. So, <laughs> Have you appeared in anything you've ever worked on? uh yeah like back in the og days uh when i was a prop master i would more often i would play a cop a doctor um what else did i play i played uh i i i uh, was a guy in a video getting married to someone but uh no i i was they cast me as a tellerite in star trek and unfortunately the uh, they had like the pre-done prosthetic. I didn't get to do the prosthetics. It was like, huh. oh, basically, here's the helmet you wear. And uh, yeah, uh, the, the helmet was made to fit a guy about a buck eighty, you know. And I'm like, and I put it on, and it's like, and I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. Um, so unfortunately, no, I did not get to be, and I wanted to be in, in Picard. They cast the uh, special fake makeup guy as one of the guys that comes in at the end with yeah. seven, yeah. Uh, but I did not, uh, Terry did not offer me anything other than a Tellarite. Uh, so you made you know. the plaque, at least you made yeah. the plaque. Well, I made the plaque, so I put myself on, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so you are yeah. in it, you are, you, you are still in Star Trek. I know your wife was yes. also in it as well, yes, the, in mm -hmm. the background. So, at least, well, that least... and that was because we were trying to do this thing, we we're trying to do these billboards, and again, COVID things. And I'm like, okay, I need. A green Orion girl to do the thing. They're like, okay, well, we got to get casting. We got to cast someone. Then we got to get special effects makeup to do the green. We got to do a photo, a thing, lighting, weather. And I begin this whole thing. I'm like, no, I just need someone who'll be green. And I said, honey, guess what we're doing this weekend? <laughs> and we just did it in my living room. And it's like you painted her green and 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 shot it and and I put it up. And I'm like, I you know. And then it became that that thing. And I'm like, okay. And people are like, oh, okay. They're like, how do we do that? Oh, we did. and I just like. Yeah, I shot it in my living room. I'm like, just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so uh, it, was, it was fun. So the other thing is you might not be able to answer this question because I know actors always hate answering it, is I'll ask you, have you ever taken anything from set that you still own? Or I can rephrase it. Like, if you could have taken something from set that you'd like to own, what trek related objects would they be uh everything uh was, was what i wanted <laughs> yeah everything uh but no uh on star trek i remember that day that they went to the they had like legal people show up went to the actors trailers because everyone <laughs> wanted their uh their jacket so yeah. we had these like these field jackets and they were just 
oh, and Michael Michael Crow who designed them just they were what what they look like on I I tried on Rikers and I was like it goes on like a silk suit. It's just like wow, oh, this is so badass. And everyone wanted one, and they were like, yeah, we're gonna take it. And no, legal is like, <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, you. But I mean, and you you can understand it because it's like you look at the the auctions, um, like back in the day. Things, you'd finish a show and the props would go back into the prop house. And I remember, you know, going to the Paramount prop house back in the day and you would find just all these treasures, but you had to know what you were looking for, but they would just put them back in and they would just put them back in, into circulation. Um, so, um, but with Star Trek now, it's like a phaser goes for $15,000. Yeah. Which I, it just always tweaks me because it's like when we're sitting there having budget issues and we don't have any money. I go, we need money for this thing. I go, you know you're gonna sell that thing for fifteen grand. Why can't I get eight thousand dollars to build it? Yeah, yeah, and it's like, but uh, you know, so that was the thing. But there was so many things on Star Trek that you're like, oh, I wish I could have got that. Wish I got that. You wish I, you know, uh, you know, everything from like you know the captain's chair to the, you know, uh, the you know the the big high ticket when everyone wanted was the uh, the plaque. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like you know, it's it's that thing. But it, you know, it. What did I get? Um, you know, I literally, we, we had a, a thing in in season two, uh, where we went into an alternate universe, and we start with seven of nine on the La Serena, in the good universe, and yeah. then we, and uh, and then we, uh, the next episode we're in the all bad universe. So we had the, all these cargo containers, all with like medical labels and things like that. And then we went to the other universe and we had to cover up it with bad guy ones. So, so they had to look like from Confederation to Federation or yeah. uh, vice versa. So one, some of them were blue and then the bad ones were red. So very, you know, on the nose. Uh, but I had a whole, so <laughs> they were literally going through and taking them off and throwing them away. I'm like, well, guys, guys, you can't just throw them away. That's worth like money. And everyone's looking at me going for stickers. I go, no, screen use stickers. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then everyone's like, okay, and we don't have time to save stickers and they're like pulling it off. So literally I snuck in and I took a bunch and I put it on plexiglass and saved a bunch of the, the stickers as we were pulling off and and whatnot. So oh, but that... yeah, I'm as I'm sure legal legal is watching, I didn't get anything. Swear on scouts on or as he yeah, sat I, as he sat there in that big chair that was uh um, <laughs> the yeah, exactly. swinging around yeah. <laughs> me this old thing i've had it years <laughs> it's a yeah. hundred years old yeah oh but no and, and that was the thing it's just I did all the stuff that i'm like yeah. well what about that what about that what about that? and it's like and by the end of the show it was just like um yeah so i it, it was it was you know it was just a, it was a little bit of a challenge because the the at the end of the show you would like to think that everyone sits there and and is excited and, and celebrates each other. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're over budget. We're running out of time. We got to get off the stages. And it's like, how quickly can we get the sets off the stages because they can't afford to pay $20,000 a day or whatever they're paying for the stages because there's another show coming in. So everything gets put in boxes. So, you know, I, like anyone else, I may have to go buy something at one of these auctions or, or, or <laughs> yeah. something. So but, uh, two questions then, so I don't forget. Oh, but so, so to answer oh, your on. question. So to answer your question, um, I'm sm also extremely smart when it comes to things like this. So I do have 
the best Star Trek book collection. Right. Uh, and when I say book collection, I mean screen use books. Right. And why, you know, it's like, oh, you got to keep that? I go, no. I was smart enough that I bought the stuff myself beforehand. So my books became so we're like oh rather than you having to go buy the gold uh, the uh, the globe uh shakespeare book you can use mine for free oh saving you money just make sure <laughs> i get it back when we're done. yeah that's clever <laughs> so i was like you know it's like you know as far as is there a what so the prop that i star trek prop i always wanted for me was my kind of holy grail was i always wanted uh the tale of two cities book that uh kirk that uh spock gives to kirk yeah and so rabbit con so for me that was like that is because it's a moment it's a thing so that's the thing i always wanted so oh. there are two screen used copies of tale of two cities one was used in star trek to the raptor con the other was on geordie's desk in star trek picard I just happened to make a replica of <laughs> the exact replica of the book and put it on Jordy's desk. So now, yes, I have one of two screen used Star Trek copies of Tale of Two Cities. That's so good because it's your stuff. It's it's my it's my book. Yeah. Um, so uh, so there you go. So uh, do I get the bonus of that? And it's not. I'm not going to sell the damn thing. Uh, but yeah, that was. I, so I basically roundabout got my holy grail of of props. Yeah. Do you know what I would have taken if I if I'd been on set and I could have got away with it, I would have taken the pack of cards that they finish as the camera comes up as them playing poker. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure one of the actors would have kept those pack of cards. But that or yeah, even 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 just one card, I would have wanted yeah. that. That was like the funniest thing because our prop master Jeff Lombardi was so amazing for two seasons and just a meticulous attention to detail, everything. That was the only time that there was any hiccup because he shows up final scene and you can see it on the screen, right? And they're all playing cards and they're all and everything. And he shows up with a stack of chips, and we kind of like all looked at him like, but there's there's a lot of them. <laughs> How many? And, and it's like, and everyone wants to have a stack of chips in front of them. Yeah, but he like he had like that much for each person, <laughs> and they were like, but they were custom. They were exactly the chips that they were, and it was like the profit itself was perfect. He just didn't have the money to get uh, like a bazillion made, so he's got I got as many as I could for the money that I had, and they were like, ah, oh, fuck, because we're all thinking the same thing. <laughs> if you if you had told us, we would have bought more and we would have all kept some and you know yeah we and but yeah but if you watch the top shot you can see everyone's got like eight chips in front of them and uh and <laughs> it was never like the stack of chips that it, everyone had hoped to have but, i need uh, to go back and watch that now <laughs> yeah. so um i appreciate time wise dave i don't know how much longer you've got um oh, we're good uh, so so obviously picard has wrapped up now and it was yes. a fantastic and the, and the work you did on it mate was was first class it was just everything was just a joy to see all the special effects the just the little bits that i i noticed a lot of the nice callback touches now now that picard has finished um and everybody's kind of seen i'm not going to give away the ending for those who haven't seen it yet but mm -hmm. there is an opportunity 
for this to continue and people are talking about star trek legacy have you got the opportunity to continue working in the star trek universe uh there's you know as as uh as kirk would say or bones would say there's always possibilities and right so um you know and and the fan so the key thing is star trek legacy wasn't a thing yeah it was 100 percent not on like when we're doing the show we're not like talking spinning off mm. we're like can we trip fall how can we get over the finish line yeah because we're in the middle of a pandemic we're you know hemorrhaging money doing the thing how can we get done with this show and and it was that was that thing can we finish so then the show comes out and well and also we did that part of the thing of shooting it back to back we shot season two and then season three, and then season two comes out. Well, season two didn't have the reception that season three had. Mm. So then you're going, oh, okay. You know, fans liked it. They, some didn't, whatever. And then you've got six months between that and season three. So in that time, th there's no studio going, let's talk about legacy. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, 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 they're like, what, you want a, another season of, of that show that wasn't it was okay think, yeah no yeah and we're like we're just hoping you the 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 third season's good and everyone were like we're like no it's season three is awesome season two is great but season three is awesome and so then season three hits first episode and people are like damn and then scene episode two was like and people are like whoa and then they're like okay but it's gonna go down now and then it goes up again yeah it got better and it was like Oh, and you know, I told Jonathan Frakes, I said, you know, hands down, see, episode four is my, one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek ever. I, because he, he directed it too. And yeah. it's like, he is one of my favorite people in the world. I mean, probably the, the best gift the Star Trek gave was, was getting to work with him on a regular basis. Because he was like one of the only people that I actually got to meet and interact with. Because we, when he was directing, he would do two episodes. So we would spend, three weeks every day all day together so it was just like and talk about meeting someone you hope would would live up to your dreams and it's like oh my god just the nicest man in the world but to see him in front of the camera you know i knew him as jonathan frakes mm. the director and i had this idea of Riker. i'd never seen him as Riker, and i was on you see Riker in front of you and you're like Fuck. and then he does that and you're like Oh my god, it was just like, yeah, it's like and that it, just yeah. straight back into Riker again, yeah. And and the best Riker that episode is the best we've ever seen, Riker. And it's just and all of a sudden you see this and you're going, and that was for me the moment I'm like, this is this is something pretty good. It's like, this is yeah, and it's like, and but you see that, and then all of a sudden the audience saw it and they're like, holy shit, that episode was good. And um, and now we just saw it like a week or two ago. The mm. ratings, because the, the streaming ratings are slower, the ratings came out for that episode, and it's the first time that Picard broke the top ten in ratings. Oh wow! And now, er, now everyone's going, "Whoa, what?" And you and and we're all and we knew we're and we're like going, "That's episode four. Everyone yeah. just think, and by episode four, it doesn't go down. It just goes. I go. So we're waiting for the new ratings, and the studio's like. Okay, well, we have this all in line. We don't have a slot for legacy. We don't mm. have plans for legacy. We have Section 31. We have Starfleet Academy, Prodigy, uh, Stranger yeah. World. 
So, but they're also going, okay, maybe, we, and then the, 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 so by the time the finale hit and the buzz was through the roof and people were like, this is the best show ever. This is the best Star Trek, you know, and, and then people were like, okay, I think we can't ignore it now. And it was like, yeah. the, uh, it's like the, what happened with Strange New Worlds, the, the, the Pike episode, people were like, oh, we love this Captain Pike thing. We yeah. want it. And they did the, the petition for, uh, for that to to, uh, to get its own series, and uh, they're like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll we'll do that. The legacy petition has just exceeded that petition, and people, the fans are like, oh no no no, and it just makes so much sense. So it's like, and then now they're realizing, oh, Terry actually thought about this beforehand, and it's it's kind of like you know the the ending of Star Wars when you realize it's like, oh, wow, Lucas said Episode Four, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, episode, you walk into this thing and it's not anything and it's a giant shit show and then it comes out and it's awesome. And, and Lucas is going, yeah, that's why I put episode four. There's a lot of story to tell. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it's like at the end of this, it's like Terry's like, oh, okay, Jack's in the thing and we rename it the, the, the Enterprise and the thing. We're like, here you go. Here's the thing that everyone's asking to do. We want a diverse cast of people. We want strong female characters. We want adventure. We want positivity. We they hand it to you here you go and you didn't even know we were giving it to you when we gave it to you and you yeah. look at it and you go oh wow seven of nine captain female captain hmm. raffi for and and they, they have a relationship and then jack and when and the lavar lavar burton's daughters or jordy's daughters you know like okay diverse cast of things yeah wow it's set up to be the thing that everyone says we should be trying to do but now everyone's asking for it and here you go yeah so i think that they're strongly looking at it but the problem is that as of yesterday we have a writer's strike oh really so again oh yeah. yes so yesterday after talk for the last six Ten months years. yeah uh since 2008 uh yesterday started the the writers all walked off so we are in the middle of a writer's strike that by all accounts will not end quickly Oh dear. So that means that any meetings, phone calls, any action whatsoever regarding Star Trek Legacy, timeout. So that stops. So that that even if they had said, "Hey, we like this. Let's do this." Terry can't. You know, they can't put the writers together. They can't start talking. They can't do the thing. It's not a. So now it's just TikTok. So so, you know, if you think about it, we started we were doing season uh season three in the january of, of 2022 and it just came out so you're looking at a good year oh wow before we could start shooting right so it's you know it's it's so it's that thing of like people are like oh let's do this thing and you're like you know come on next in like six weeks or something the you know the ship's gone everything and it's like you know, so it's that thing. It's like, nope, it's literally re starting from scratch again. So I would be one of the few designers who gets to, you know, if we did that, it's like, hey, I get to build, take down, and build the Enterprise again. Two of them. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, yeah. So there, there you go. So the last, the what was the last day of filming on Picard three? Then was that January twenty twenty two? Uh, no, I think it was like March twenty twenty two. So you've had so you've had a year 
so when you when you finish the end of Picard, you obviously realise you had something special there, but you have you've got to wait the year for it to be edited and put together and come out. Yeah. What so what have you been working on in that well, year and what what have you got coming up now? Uh in that year I actually relocated to Toronto. My my lovely uh Orion uh wife uh it lives in Toronto. Uh, so we were separated during the pandemic and that was less fun than it, it should have been. Mm. Um, so I moved up here also because I travel so much with work. It didn't make sense for her to move to LA and then have me go on the road and yeah. she's in LA. So her family's in Toronto. So I said, I'll move up there. Uh, so I came up here. I work with Terry Metallis, the showrunner. We did a pilot, uh, at the end of last year for, uh, Witch Mountain, Escape from Witch Mountain. Oh, you're joking. Yeah. Lo- so that was for Disney plus. Uh, so Disney hasn't made it decided if they're going to pick up the pilot or whatever. So, um, but yeah, so I moved to Toronto, uh, and then as, uh, you know, not as, if it wasn't part of the grand plan, it's part of, uh, part of the, how do you connect the, all the dots and to be in the right place at the right time? Uh, they just announced two brand new Star Trek, a, a Star Trek movie, section 31 mm. and, a, and a Star Trek series, Starfleet Academy, uh, both. Uh, Star Trek shows are shooting in Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> yeah, where I happen to live. Hey, Andy. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll see if if you know if all the dots in the universe connect and and I find myself back, uh, you know, have a place for all my Star Trek books and where I'm actually getting to write them off as business expense. Yeah. So, so, so do we'll, you get? Are you? Like, how are you represented then? How do you find work, get work? Is it just purely that word of mouth and reputation? And oh, I, I, I have an agent, and they go, they make calls and everything. But again, it's we're in a really challenging time right now because mm-hmm. everyone's been knowing that this writer strike has been right coming up, and I'm one of the first people to be hired on a show because I, we do pre-production and we start building well in advance, and studios didn't want to start doing things, start building uh, sets, because if I start building a set, then I'm spending $20,000 a day on a soundstage that I can't use, but I also can't take the set off. So we're not going to start doing anything until the writer's strike is. So it's been a a slow slow burn of a year uh, so far. So we'll see. I mean, but like I said, you know, thousands of people right now uh, are out of work and going to be out of work and Hopefully everyone uh, result the strike gets resolved and everyone gets what they need in order to move forward. So, is this like the previous writer strike yeah. f- from way yeah. back? Where is it the similar thing? Is it pay? Is it conditions? Is it? Uh, it's it's mainly it's uh, the the streaming universe is a completely different thing, and everyone you know if you think back to Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh you used to do 22 episodes of, or 24 episodes of Star Trek. And that used to get you like a whole year. And if you, if you figure it, you know, it takes 24, 24 uh, episodes, two weeks an episode, you're getting a year's worth of work out of that. Yeah. Now all the streaming services are down to like 10 episodes or nine episodes or 12 episodes. Mm. So now you're getting half a year of work. So with a lot, a lot of them, it becomes a, a bigger thing where the studios they want to uh, lock up the writers, so that they're only working on the show, but they don't want to pay them, the, you know, for the six months of the year. So they're like, oh, we'll pay you a little more, but we want you exclusive, and 
but then also, you know, streaming rights is different. It used to be the writers would get a fee like every Thursday night when Seinfeld would air, Seinfeld would get paid for his show being on. And when they would rerun it, he'd get another check and and so forth. Now everything's on a streaming service. So how do I know? Like, when does my show air? Well, yeah. it drops, but it, it, how many streams does it get? Well, most, as you know, most ratings, they don't release ratings. They, so it's like, no. and then like a Netflix show, and we all watch Netflix or Amazon, um, you put the show on, you hit play, and it goes to the next episode. You know, it does that thing at the end of it, and, yeah. and then it just runs right into it. Well, the, the writer's like, well, okay, my episode was played twice. You know, episode one and then episode two. And then the streaming service is like, well, but yeah, but are, are they watching it? Because Netflix has to put up the thing and goes, are you still watching? Because if you don't turn your cable box off, it just keeps playing, playing, playing until mm. you get to the end. We're not going to pay you, Mr. Writer, for 10 episodes of a show that no one actually watched. Mm. Does that, that doesn't make sense that because no. they didn't. So it's, it's really, and it's streaming and it's how many people uh, that they can hire for, you know, and it's all the different things and you know most of them are above my pay grade and 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 things everyone it's just it, it yeah it's just it, it's it's harder to get work because the you're not getting hired on for a longer run so your your time off or in between shows is a lot more yeah so they're, like, they're I, also know, they're also starting to have to address the whole ai writing tv yeah. shows uh part of it because you stick an outline into a you know, some producer comes up with an idea, sticks it into some AI program and says, there, it's written. Now what happens? And right. there's, there's and, a and lot again, of issues that they're trying to figure that out with. And it's, it's, um, yeah. It's and again, you know, I, I mentioned it with some other people. I, it's like, and also the, these contracts that they're doing are not for a year that, you know, it's for several years. And it's the idea of like, how will the technology evolve to the extent of, can I take a digitized book? And I take a Harry Potter book, put it into AI, and turn me into a film script. Hmm. Now, it may not be a great film script, but it's going to be <clears throat> a film script that then someone else can put notes on. And then they've just done, it's like AI for artists. If I, and we're, as a designer, we're going to run into the same thing. Because I'm going to get some producer who will say, here, I did this AI stuff I wrote in Star Trek Spaceship on my AI computer and here's five ideas. I like this one. Um that's gonna happen too. Uh yeah. with not, not so much with start, but it will be it will be with every yeah. anything and everything. So all of these things uh are gonna come to pass and we gotta figure out how we all move forward because uh to say that uh it's not gonna impact it, it's it's going to. Oh my uh, you know I, I I liken it to the uh the sign painters. There used to be guys that, you know, if you watch the beginning of the movie Seven, you know, uh, Morgan Freeman's door, the guy's hand painting it. Yeah. And then, you know, later he's, he's and it's like, yeah, you used to have to hand paint your your name on the on the door. Now you get a, it's cut out in vinyl letters. Right? Yeah. So there is no painter. There's a graphic designer. So yeah. the, the sign painters and you go down the line of all, you know, there's no more guy loading the camera with film. That job went away. So, right. uh, you know, and AI and is doing a lot of that. I was watching a, you know, for you guys to do podcasts, is this app that basically takes a multi multi camera uh, thing and it will automatically edit it for you. 
based off the, the sound thing. Cut, 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 cut. And at what the demo went, wow. That, and then you go, it's not perfect, but it allows you to like, it does 60% of the work. So you can go tweak it and I want to do this, but it like cut your time now. Oh, um, it's, it's, that's, I mean, I've seen some stuff coming out that I can't describe in any detail at all. But if you would have told me about it three or four years ago, I would have told you that you are out of your mind. It was never going to be possible. I have now seen it actually working. And I can't imagine how much better it's going to be in two years from now. I mean, I just, it's, yeah. it, it looks yeah. like magic. It, it is yeah. so and stunningly a, incredible. And it's that thing of going, because <clears throat> people are like, well, no, it's really the artist and the thing. I go, it's another brush in the tool. And it's how yeah. we do it it's a you know it's the thing of going every time we do that that thing where we circle something we go content aware fill you're using a or you're doing the new the new yeah. remove tool that they've just released is someone sent me a, an iphone picture the other day with a person photobombing a group of people he jumped in front of the camera in front of the crowd doing one of those really weird things and the um photoshop remove tool took out 98 percent of it in one and a half seconds yeah. I, I mean, it was it was something that I could never have edited in 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 by hand. Would have taken me 10, 12 hours to just get a rough idea. This thing literally did it in less than in less than two seconds. Is and it released it to, or is it a beta? Oh no, this is, is in the beta release now. It's out. The remove tool is out publicly, right, Dave? Or we're we gonna have to cut this? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, no, it's, 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 it's uh, out. It's been it's been advertised on the internet. Yeah. you just made me think of someone dave apart from the fact that you are connected with alan there is also someone i know a really good friend of mine who's very strongly connected to you which is paul shipper who did the poster the poster art for picard you know the one oh, yeah. with the head with the floating heads the movie poster um yeah. paul's a huge star trek fan and I got to meet him for you, through a mutual friend. So it was quite cool that somebody else I know had yeah. also worked on the Trek universe and had done all the Picard artwork. So I keep seeing his artwork all the time. It's really cool when like you guys are sharing it because it's like, oh, I know Paul, he did that. Yeah. Okay, so that's the end of part one with our interview with Dave Blass. Uh, if you go back onto the app, you're going to find part two of this interview with him on He Shoots, He Draws. And uh, once again, thanks for joining us.